2: plenty to wager on over at betonline.ag you've got the nba the nhl major league baseball and oh by the way you can still bet on plenty of football related items rookie futures nfl futures who's going to win the super bowl how many yards are some of these top rookies going to throw for run for receive it's all available to you at betonline.ag check it out today
3: TDM fantasy the TDN Fantasy, Fantasy Podcast with your hosts Paige DeMakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians.
4: Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Chris Schubert, Jamie Eisner, Jake Arians back once again. It, you know, I, I thought about playing some some kind of some sad violin music here at the beginning instead of the normal intro, because this is the, the final episode that we're really kind of delving into to Jamie's projections and the rankings here on the show. And it, it's supposed to be a celebratory mood, but I kind of feel down. We spent the last month kind of d- deep diving into these players. And this is kind of kind of the end of it all as we wrap up here. Some questions for Jamie, uh, our final thoughts. So it should be a, a very interesting show. Jamie, I have prepared a list of questions for you that you are not aware of. If, if uh, the rest of the show will allow me, I would like to start with one of those questions and see where it takes us. No. Is that all right with everybody? Okay, All right, no. all right, then, all right then you guys can just do the show without me. No, no Jake okay. overruled me. So in, in thinking about this show in particular, right? And this show is supposed to be kind of the all-encompassing look back at what we've done for the last month. I guess my question for you, Jamie, is – You've now done this for two full seasons now
2: that you've been doing these projections? Yeah, the projections part. Yeah, two full seasons. Been doing rankings for a while longer, but the the actual player projections. Yeah, this will be the second year. For for this season.
4: What was the hardest part of doing these projections? And if you tell me the 17th game, I do
2: not accept that as an answer. No, that doesn't make it any hard at all. This means I have to multiply things by 17 instead of 16. It's actually really easy. It just makes the final numbers look a little weird at first until we start to like retrain our brains to what a 17 game season stat line looks like because we all kind of have, you know, ranges where people fall in. The hardest part for me is always probably second year players. Like th- those are always the most difficult players to project because you really only have one year of information on them, and the tendency is you kind of fall into one of two buckets: either you fall back into just basically projecting them to do exactly what they did the year prior, or you have you talk yourself into a scenario where they're going to get so much more of X, whether it's workload, whether it's uh, they're going to catch more of their passes, they're going to be they're going to be a different spot in their team. So it's really hard to kind of find a good line for some of these second-year players, particularly those that were kind of on the polls, like those that did really great, like Justin Jefferson, those that did really poorly, like Henry Ruggs III. Because no matter where you kind of land, you're going to feel like it's wrong. And I say it's maybe even more so to the players that had poor seasons because you really don't know where to put them. Like I don't know how to accurately project where Henry Ruggs III is going to do this year. Like, I, I just don't know. I can look at the way the Raiders offense looks. I can look at target share. I can look at all of these things. I can look at, you know, typical player progression from year one to year two. But the reality is I don't really know what we're going to get. So it, to me, that's always the hardest. The, the longer you've played in the league, and particularly the longer you've played in the league with a similar coaching staff or similar team, it's a little bit easier to come up, at least a little bit easier in theory. Again, we're predicting the future, but it's easier in theory to kind of land in, what I would consider these projections to be of somewhat around that like 50th percentile, for those that are familiar with that, of like this is the what I would perceive based on past information, the most likely scenario that's going to happen, not the exact scenario that's going to happen. So uh, it's a little bit easier to do that with the more information you have. The longer a player's been in the league, the longer a player's been in the offense, you kind of can easily say, This is how much this team likes to throw, this is how often he throws. Here's what his touchdown rate typically normalizes to be that sort of a thing. Um, So it's always as those second year guys, even more so than rookies, because I mean, rookies are difficult in general, but at least you can kind of look back and go, you know, here's what rookies typically do entering the league. Here's what that offensive share looks like. It's harder when you're trying to say, you know, a young player is going to get better in theory, but you don't really know how much better. You don't really know what the role is going to be. So it's, if there's a flaw in my projections, as we talk about things that I've normally have seen that have, that have popped up as potential issues in the past, it is being too low on second-year players sometimes. Now, that's not the case with, like, Justin Jefferson this year. But for a lot of those times, it's, it's tough. to Because is it possible Henry Ruggs becomes the player we thought he was going to be a year ago to the day? Sure. Like, it, it's very possible, and I'm absolutely not writing off a player of his talent level after one poor season, especially when I think a lot of it was they just didn't know how to use him properly. So, obviously, players has to take a fair share as well. But that's probably one where it just gets difficult for me because what is what can I reasonably expect Henry Ruggs to do? Like, would it shock me if he actually has a really good season? No. But is there anything I have right now that tells me I should project that? Also, no.
3: In the spirit of that question, Jamie, would you lump in free agents and IE trades when you're going to different quarterbacks, different offenses? Like, you know, Julio Jones, we all know the player is, would you lump that kind of into that second year player? Like, I don't know exactly what this offense is going to be, how healthy he's going to be, how he's going to mesh with this quarterback, that kind of thing. Or is it a little bit, because you have so much data and tape on that player, is it a little bit easier? You Would you lump them in the same category?
2: It's a little bit easier, but it's also difficult because you feel like you then know one part of the equation because I think all of this the way I the way my brain kind of looks at this information when I do these projections is there's two pieces of information that we deal with. Uh, it's the player as a talent and then there is the situation that they're in. And a lot of the situation is just volume. And and looking at like what they can do and Julio Jones in, in particular, I feel pretty good about the player we're getting. We have a large enough sample size in his career to know what we're getting. It doesn't. I don't think Tannehill is at this stage of his career. The way he's doing is a downgrade from what Matt Ryan is at this stage in his yeah. career. So we, I'm not dealing with that factor. We're, we're doing more like a Kenny Galladay, where I do think he's taking a downgrade. So that stuff feels pretty constant. The concern is going to be is you know, what, what is his role? Because you you could feel comfortable with what he was in Atlanta, like the, the way that they were game planning with him, like you knew what he would do. It's sometimes easy just to assume, oh, he's just gonna do the same thing somewhere else. And it's just not that simple. And so it, that it creates some confusion because you lose that equation, you know, of like, well, how is he going to be used? Like, is it possible he overtakes AJ Brown in target share? I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's impossible either. You know, I'm not projecting that, but that would change. You know, the way where I have Julio Jones right now as well, and 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 the other obvious thing is injuries are going to be a factor too. Like guys are going to get hurt that are not projected in my rankings to get hurt, and that changes the equation. If AJ Brown misses two games and Julio Jones is fully healthy for those two games, well, guess where all the targets are going. And that's going to change where he ends up over the course of a season, but it's tough to predict that. So yes, a little bit, um, you know, where some guys who you are just trying to see which factors that you know, the most of, and really all, what I'm trying to do is land on what I think is the most likely of all the outcomes, given the information that we have, like they're, they're going to, I mean, I'm not going to hit on any of these guys. My rankings are not going to, they're not going to be perfect to a yard on any of these players. Like it's just not going to happen, but it's just trying to figure out where's the reasonable spot to kind of project them. My next question for you, Jamie. That's a long pause, Chris.
4: Sorry, I, I tried to hit the mute hotkey, and it didn't work in the thing that we were using. I had to unmute, though. That pause is – people aren't going to hear that pause, so they're going to be very. again. Are you going to edit it out? Oh, yeah, so I'm going to edit out the you, pause. That's even better. Yeah, I'm so calling you out great. for the thing that they're,
2: they were yeah, not They're never going to
4: hear. I, my, my second question, and I think this might spawn us into all sorts of different conversations about specific teams, because when you do this, Jamie, these projections, you go team by team right? And, and you yes. you do a deep dive into coaching staffs and, and That's and what so I my- did
2: this year because last year I thought I didn't do that well enough. So last year I tried to go by position and I thought that was a poor way of doing it. Um, you know, so as I've done, because I've done projections for baseball longer than I've yes. done for football. So I, I kind of brought, I brought that into the football space last year and and now obviously I don't really do fantasy baseball for anybody anymore. So there's not really a need for me to do all the fantasy baseball projections that I was doing. But uh, so I brought it into the football space and Going team by team is so much easier because you stay in that same frame of mind and you can make adjustments while you're doing these players. Cause it's very easy to forget, you know, the nuances or why you, you did things for certain players when, you know, you're just doing them all over the place. But yes, so this year in particular, I felt the again trying to better the process every year I do this and kind of self-reflect what I should have done differently last year. I'll do the same thing a year from now. I did go team by team this year.
4: So that being said, my question for you is which team gave you the most trouble when doing the projections? Ooh. Cause you're looking at coaching staffs. You're looking at what your coordinators did. And if it's a new coordinator coming in, so which team while you were doing it, you went, man, this, high, I don't know what to do here.
2: Uh, oh, this is, this one's easy for me, New England. Ooh. Because okay. the way that offense operated last year was so inefficient. It messes everything up. And you know, now with them taking Mac Jones, you then don't know when in that process there's a transition. Like, you don't know when Cam Newton is going to go from starter to on the bench. Could it be week one? Could it be week five? Could it be not at all? Uh, you know, you you were dealing with a team that had a lot of injuries at running back. And, you know, a guy I'm going to go back and do rechecks on that we'll talk about a little bit uh, next week's show is Damian Harris, because I know there's a lot of hype around him in the fantasy community and there's a lot of hype coming out of Boston on him. I'll give him another look, but he was a guy that missed significant time last year as did several of the Patriots running backs. So it becomes, even though Belichick and McDaniels have been there forever, they've been there forever with just a completely different team. Like this New England team last year was nothing like any of the New England teams we had seen in the decade prior. So trying to find out what this new Patriots team looks like, how much of it's going to be influenced, because Mac Jones can, frankly, as a passer, can do more than Cam Newton at this stage in his career. Like it just it just there's no Absolutely. if answer buts about it. I just don't know when Mac Jones is taking over, but when Mac Jones takes over, that offense is going to be significantly different than when Cam Newton is starting a quarterback. So it's become a very difficult team to kind of project. They don't have a lot of fantasy relevant players, but they also have like a lot of new additions. You brought in Nelson Higgielow, you brought in Jonu Smith, you brought in Hunter Henry. You know now the quarterback situation. So there's you have a lot of new pieces there that you don't have any information on when you felt okay about tight end, they bring in Hunter Henry to screw up everything that you thought about with John who Smith. So like, this is an offense to me. Like there's going to be value somewhere on this team, but trying to look at what they did last year, try to predict it forward was unbelievably difficult. And I don't really feel confident about really any of my Patriots projections going into the year, just because, Really, they—it's just a massively different offense than we've seen before. And by the way, it's going to probably be a different offense by the end of the season than it is at the beginning of the season. It just makes it really difficult to kind of figure out.
3: I'm guessing the Jets had to be really tough too.
2: Jets were tough too because that's a, a ton of new. But at least they felt more exciting when I did yeah, those. Yeah. Like I enjoy trying to put those together. I'm glad more. you put it
3: that way. Which team was the most exciting? The Bengals.
2: Yeah, the Bengals were fun. The Bengals is fun.
3: So, I'm, so I never Jamie, thought anybody would ever say that. But the way that you have all those guys ranked, I'm like that had to be fun to do. You're like, man, this offense could be really fun. I wouldn't say that I'm
4: surprised by your answer for the Patriots, but I thought for sure that you would you would hit me with one of the teams that had a new coach and a new coaching staff because that feels like you're just. You, you, you're in the dark. You don't know what it's going to look like. So I'm, I'm surprised that you went with the team there are that a, few. Yes, a, a team that has established players everywhere and has established coaching and also has an established coaching staff. That to me was a bit surprising.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean there are teams like that. Like Detroit is a, is a difficult one to project a bit. Uh, completely new, basically new coaching staff, completely. Trying to project Detroit wide receivers is Instead a no crapshoot. That had to be really tough. Yeah. It's a crapshoot. Uh, you know, so it, it so that that wasn't easy either, but you know, they're also just to me, New England was just the, the one because it's at least I like I Jared Goff isn't losing his job when healthy this year in Detroit. I have at least a little bit of confidence in DeAndre Swift. Anthony Lynn has a pretty extended history as a play caller, you know, figuring out what he's going to do, so I felt a little bit more comfortable there. New England just felt – I just feel like New England's going to be in flux. Like I think we're going to get – the game plan they're going to run early in the season might not be the same late. I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like early in the season versus late. I don't know which running backs are going to be healthy. I just – I don't know how they're going to use their two tight ends now. I I tried to look back at how they use like Martellus, Bennett, and Gronk when those guys were together that like – it just – the Patriots, to me, felt like the most complicated one to try to figure out.
3: I think Cam Newton's, Cam Newton's the crux there. If Matt Jones yeah. is the quarterback. I think you, you've you seen that for 20 years of what Josh McDaniels and Belichick want to do, whether two tight ends or not. Cam Newton and his inability to be able to throw, and what they tried to do with him last year is, to me, the biggest pickle there that makes that one so hard to figure out. Chicago, Jamie, did that one give you any trouble?
2: It didn't. It gave me annoyance later. Um, okay, that's When fair I b- did everything for Bill Lazor's offense and had to redo re- it back for Matt Nagy calling plays. But no, because really there's – it's been a lot – like I know the Justin Fields element, but a lot of the other pieces are there. The play calling has been there. The running back has been there for a couple years. The receivers have been there. I mean aside from Darnell Mooney. But like that one wasn't too difficult. It just – it's it got more annoying Um, uh, just because I had to go back and redo a bunch of it.
4: And then I'm assuming if if uh, Nagy takes back play calling at some point during the year, we will revert back to the old. Oh, you uh, mean projections. Lasers. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go back roll. to laser. Yes, yeah. we will go back to the old projections uh, that you had. Yeah,
2: it, it just it's a different offense. It, it's not like night and day, but there was significant differences in in their ability to run the football, their desire to run the football more, and where they go with the football, particularly how they use their running backs. And I, you know, it's just it's different enough where. You know, it's better news for Fields. It's better for fantasy purposes. Better news for Fields, better news for Allen Robinson, better news for Cole Komet, not as better news for Tariq Cohen, not as good news for David Montgomery.
4: I have more questions, but Jake, if you have something that you would like to ask Jamie, I feel like I should give you the floor here just before I ramble on for the rest of the show. Keep rambling. I like okay. Your rambling. Okay. All right. That's fine. Uh, so Jamie, when you do this and, and in the, in the breakdowns that we did, we, we had all of the position groups and they were tiered and then the numbers are up on the website. And again, if you haven't seen yeah. any of that the draftnetwork.com is where all the projections and rankings uh, lie. And we did the, the sleepers and bust episode. So this is kind of touched on a little bit there, but I think I want to go bigger picture with it here. Which position group Jamie, in your mind, when doing these projections, did you feel there was more value at the end of doing all of the projections than maybe you originally thought going in, and I'm assuming it's yeah. going to be one of running back or wide receiver, because, because there's so many names. But maybe there, maybe the quarterback group surprised you. I just where because going in you probably have these preconceived notions of what group and what names you like. Which position group at the end did you feel like man, there's actually a lot more names that I like here
3: than the Williams one group or. you didn't mention. I think is tight end. I like tight end. That's yeah, crazy. I
2: think it actually might be tight end because wide receiver feels like cheating at this point. Because we all know how deep it is, and I feel like the, I, I don't want to actually say that anymore because we know. Um, and at some point I would like to see – I'll continue to be beat this drum. We need to continue to adjust the fantasy game as these positions continue to grow. And I think part of that is making a three receivers starting standard um, and give that extra position where it's two running backs, two re- – or three receivers and a flex. Just because you need to kind of space out some of this – wide and may, kind of make those elite wide receivers a little bit more important. Uh, You know, because the baseline replacement level now is so high at the position, but uh, I digress on that. I think it's tight end just because like to me, there are you know what you're going to get if you get Kelsey Kittle or Waller like, you know, you're going to get the elite production. Those guys are the bells of the ball at the position. That's not breaking any news. You know, if you kind of get that next tier, the Mark Andrews, the TJ Hawkinsons of the world, I believe Kyle Pitts deserves to be in there as well. You're getting really good players. Then everybody else is either potentially hindered by the quarterback situation. You need a bounce back season from. Is coming off a career year, has some concerns, but you know I don't think there's a huge like I, I obviously I have them ranked in the order I prefer, and I obviously I would prefer to get the Tyler Higbees, the Justeckies, the the Noah fans of the world. But if you're stuck down here and you have to go with Gronk or Austin Hooper or Logan Thomas, or Tyler Higby, or even like the Eric Ebrons and Blake... Like I think there are a lot of players in this like tight end category that if you don't get one of those top players and some of those middle-tier tight ends start to get overvalued, which is always the concern for me of once those elite tight ends come off the board, do people start reaching for the Noah fans of the world or the reach for the TJ Hawkinsons? I might be okay just sitting back and waiting and playing this game now. Uh, I, I have... 18 tight ends projected to score eight and a half fantasy points per game or more on a per game basis this year. I know that doesn't sound great, but when my number seven tight end is projected to get 10 and a quarter, I, I mean like we're not, I'm, I'm not trying to poo poo, you know, one and three quarter points per game. Oh, that's, that, exactly that's a, what that's you're a doing. big difference, but I'm just saying like, we're talking about somebody you can get with literally the last pick in your fantasy draft versus somebody you have to spend like a sixth round pick on. It's a value problem. That's, right? that's enough of a difference where I might sit back and wait. Again, there is still a huge advantage to having an elite player at the position, but you're going to have to pay up for it. And that means giving up probably one of the top running backs or one of the top receivers. In the case of Kelsey, that's your first round pick. You're giving up to get him. There's a huge advantage. And there's and there's a strategy to that because you know, if you start to look about position by position where you can kind of get people, if you're playing Travis Kelsey and your opponent's playing I don't know, Logan Thomas at the tight end position. And and I'm not trying to downplay Logan Thomas, but we're talking about maybe double the fantasy production. So if you talk about it, you're trying to win each position by as many points as possible. Rarely are you going to get a spot where you can walk into a week and say, I've got an eight, nine, maybe even 10 fantasy point advantage over my opponent in this one position. And that's what that gives you, but you have to pay full price for it. So if you're not willing to do that.
3: I got okay, one. I, I, I could see. I thought I could see you, you you were formulating one. So Did you see the wheels turning? Yeah, I saw so, it. I mean, we all were beat the drum of running back, running back, running back early last year, because if you didn't go running back early, it was gonna bite you in the ass. And Jamie went receiver, receiver because he didn't really have a choice in our TDN league and it bit him in the ass because they got hurt. Yep. I'm thinking my strategy might be different for the first time, especially which we were just talking about how much value I'm gonna place on the tight end position when I normally want to wait. I'm either gonna wait really late and hope I can get Austin Hooper. And everybody forgets about him. Or I'm going to try to go get one of those guys and I'm hoping they drop to the second round. I mean, if you're picking 11th in a 12 team league and Kelsey gets out of the first and you can go, you know, boom, boom right there, I'm thinking I might try to value that a little bit more. Is your strategy going to be different than it's been in years past, Jamie, because the running back position is a little weird, receiver's so heavy and tight end, there is some value, but I love what you just said. I mean, if you want to pay, there's if you get Kelsey the second round, there's value there. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, like, the production is going to be huge.
2: So I have become more willing than because I used to always be a never taken elite tight end guy. I was never going to be the guy that drafted Antonio Gates. I was never going to be, you know, that sort of or Tony Gonzalez. I was never going to be that player. Um, but I've kind of changed my mind on that or Gronk. Uh, I guess that would be another good one as well when he was at his peak. But I've kind of changed my mind over that. And it kind of started with Gronk a couple years back. Um, you know, when I had him and I saw the advantage that I had over everybody else and how much that really mattered on a weekly basis when you get into the season, you know, well, I could find this, you know, 10 point, you know, third wide receiver or 10 point flex play off my bench or off the or, or off the waiver wire that week there's not really a lot of replacement level for tight end. Now there is, if you don't take one of the top tight ends, I think the replacement level for a Noah Fant or a Tyler Higby or some of these other guys here I have in that, you know, seven to 10 range, the replacement level is a lot easier for those guys. It's not for those top three. So, I mean, right now I have, I have Kelsey as my number nine overall player. I'd be willing to take him in the top 10. I have George Kittle at 24 and Darren Waller at 26. So, I mean, so we're in that category of I have three tight ends in the first, you know, two rounds and two picks. Uh, I mean, that's kind of where I have them right now. I would be perfectly okay taking one. It's the, I'm not going to go into my drafts planning to take Kelsey in the first round unless I'm in the back portion, because I don't think I can pass up on any of those top running backs just because I think that's if, if those guys hit, it's such a major advantage for you. But if I'm sitting there around that 10, 11, 12 mark, and I know I'm in like, like in the TD fan, TD and fantasy premium league last year, where, you know, a lot of people are going RB heavy. I The only receiver I would take over Travis Kelsey right now would be Devontae Adams if Aaron Rodgers comes back. Like, I think that's the equation there. So if I'm not going to get an elite running back, if those elite players are gone, I'm not really considering many other players. And it's only Adams. And if it's right, if it's today, if I had to draft right now, I'm not sure with with the uncertainty of the Aaron Rodgers situation, I'm not sure I wouldn't just give Kelsey that bump in that spot.
3: It's so weird. This train of thought, like I'm the same way. I was always weight on quarterbacks and I went high on Kyler Murray. Cause he kind of fell to me and I knew I was going to be okay. Cause my team was loaded at that point in one league. It was great for most of the year, but he spiked so much and then flatlined late, but I, that was the first time I'd really reached out and done that. So I, I mean, my strategy could be very, very different this year and years past all based off this tight end position. Cause I've seen that exactly. Those top three guys are huge. When you what Waller's throwing 30 point games, yeah. yeah, you get him in the third round it's like just because if the receiver group wasn't so damn deep, then it, you wouldn't have this option. you'd have to be a little bit more conservative and, and this you know train of thought from years past. but I think we might all change this thing up a little bit. So I love doing these shows and going through this group because your question Chris P- tight end popped in my head immediately is I felt like there was the most value there when we did the show. Well, Jamie, it
4: feels like there's going to be a mad dash for those top five in redraft formats, right? The the top five that we discussed when we did the tight end show, I think there's a mad dash and and they might get overdrafted in a lot of formats. So I think to, to tie this back to where we started this, when you were talking about how tight ends, the position you feel really confident about, because you have what 18 players projected to get at least eight fantasy points per game. There's going to be a mad dash for those top five, which in turn, if you feel comfortable with. Guys, at the back half of that eighteen-person list that we went through the other day, you can then get a, a a better running back, a better wide receiver, because people are making that mad dash because they want Kyle Pitts, they want Mark, Avers, they want fall, those guys, right? right. Somebody yeah. then has to fall,
2: and that's the point I want to make here. I, I'm not. My strategy isn't to. I want to take Eric. Like, if you ask me right now, would I draft Eric Ebron? his ADP, or Darren Waller? Does ADP? I'll take Darren Waller. But what I'm telling you is, is if you can't get those players, or they're getting so overdrafted, like Kelsey's going pick five, or or and you know Waller and Kittle are going in the middle of the second round, or something like that, or early second round. If you can't get those players, if that mad dash happens, don't panic because it's again. I like Noah Fant and Giseki and Halkinson, as you can see in my rankings over those guys below. But the like put it this way. My projections show the drop between my number seven – let's go number six, okay, since we talked about the top five rush for for Pitts and Andrews in that category. My difference in fantasy points per game between Eric Ebron, for example, and TJ Hawkinson is what? A little – two and a half points? The difference between Darren Waller and Mark Andrews is higher. Yeah. (laughs) So – Like those elite guys matter, but they also matter at a price. And we talk about like, if you take them at their peak, you start to hurt the value that you get. Like if you take them at, like if you're going to take Darren Waller at pick 15, you might get that value back, but there's no upside for you. And and I understand early in the draft, you don't always have to draft for upside. If if you're drafting elite talents and you get an elite talent, I get it. But to me, there's more risk when you start to do that at, at that position. But, what I'm saying is if you can't get one of these elite options, I wouldn't overdraft the guys in the middle, Dra- rate the guys in the middle as you normally would in this tier. And if they fall to you at an appropriate spot, you absolutely take them, but don't feel compelled to man. Everybody rushed to go get Pitts and, and Andrews and the t- and the top three stars. I have to make sure I come out with Noah Fanta. I have to make sure I come out with TJ Hawkinson. or I have to do this. And you take these guys around in a half early. I, like, the you've already, you've already lost the advantage. The second those top three guys come off the board, you've lost the biggest advantage at the tight end position. There's still an advantage for you getting those middle guys, but the returns are now a little bit less. So if you reach for those players in the same way people reach for the top three, you're going to get less of a return. This is going to turn I mean, into like Kelsey, a math
3: class. If Kelsey were to go, I, I'm not taking it in top eight, but if he were to go ahead of you there, then that means Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, Devontae Adams yeah. – somebody's falling to you. If there's a mad dash on those other guys in the second round, then one of those better receivers is going to fall to you. So it's not like it's a – there's still got to be a value proposition here is what we're saying on all these positions, especially if you're going to take those guys with a premium.
2: And we'll talk about it more as we get into later in the summer and into the fall uh, of draft strategy. But sometimes you just kind of have to let the draft come to you. And if you're in a league where you know people are prone to – you know, trends or just falling a line or once two players go at a position, there starts to be a run. Sometimes you just have to let the draft come to you. And that might mean not getting some of your favorite players, even if you really want them, because they're just going at stupid values and just letting guys fall to you. Like each, each draft is different. And depending on the expert level, depending on your stats, depending on, look, some people play fantasy just for fun. Um, I'm assuming those that are listening to this are playing to win, or you wouldn't be listening to fantasy podcasts two, victory. three times a week. Um, so, uh, but you're going to have people in your league. They're just playing for fun and in their mind of if they're, if they're two players that are somewhat close, they're going to go with their favorite team or favorite player or somebody they want to watch more, or somebody in their local market happens all the time. So sometimes you just kind of have to let the draft fall to you.
4: And can I add something to this whole value proposition conversation that we're having with tight end? And I think it's something that gets lost because emotions take over on draft day, right? You, you can do all of the research and the preparation in the world, but when it doesn't go according to plan or when a player that you've really, you, you've highlighted in the Sharpie, this is a guy I want. When that guy doesn't get to you or that guy gets drafted five, six picks in front of you, there's a tendency to freeze and to panic and to be like, oh no, the guy I want, it's not there. But Jake, you said it right before because that player went ahead of where we thought he was going to go, that means a pretty good player is now going to get to me because somebody has to fall. That's the way this works. So because Aaron Jones maybe doesn't go in the spot that we thought he would because somebody takes Travis Kelsey, that pushes Aaron Jones down, which then in turn pushes another guy down if, the, if Aaron Jones moves the next pick. this is a, It's a sliding board all throughout the draft process, so you can't freeze, you can't panic. You have to understand that by a guy you liking, maybe going a little bit ahead of where you wanted him to, Somebody
3: else really good might fall to you because of, the, because of the way draft dynamics play out. Yeah, and the more drafts I do, the more I'll go round by round of target guys that I like. But that list is getting longer and longer. And that position breakdown is getting much more variety than it used to. Or it used to be like, all right, running back. And I'll have six listed for the second round. That's not the case anymore. I got a two-part I do, of I do everything based off value yeah. when I'm drafting.
4: I got a two-parter for you, Jamie, and maybe we can use this to, to wrap up the, the the show. And if we have any more final thoughts, Dan, we can get to them. Which player, when you were done doing the projections, did you go, I'm low on this guy, I don't feel comfortable with it? Which guy did you do your projections and say, man, I'm higher on this player than most, and I'm not sure. Which players gave you the most agita when their numbers were done on both ends of the scale?
2: That's a great question. Thank um, you. I,
4: I appreciate that.
2: So... Uh, I think the the one for me that I think first caught me a little off guard um, was, and, I, and there are a few, but I think the one that caught me off guard at first was Nick Chubb for low. Um, you know, he comes in at my RB 13 right now, but, you know, his actual points per game projection would actually put him closer to 15. Uh, if I'm well, I guess it, actually his points per game projection would put him closer to like 18, uh, but he's more likely to play a full season. Um, then some of the other guys like the Chris Carson's and Miles Gaskins or whatever that I have projected more, you know, some of it is, it's the, it's the lack of pass catching has been an issue. Um, but it is weird looking at a guy that I had projected to run for 1400 yards and 13 or 14 touchdowns and not have him in, in RB one territory kind of feels a little weird. Uh, just counterintuitive to, to what the stats kind of tell me. Um, you know, so he was somebody I was a little bit lower on than I expected. I think Kenny Galladay. Uh, we've talked about him a ton. Uh, I was a little surprised on how low he was, but there's a lot of targets to move around in that offense, and I just it's it's difficult for me to kind of find where he fits. Uh, not where that he's going to fit, but like how much of a workload he's going to get compared to the workload that he got in Detroit. You know, some of the guys that I was higher on, Jamar Chase, uh, for quite frankly, you know, I
3: sold you on that one early. I sold you on our rookie. Yeah, like it's a TD going to the Bengals, and you were all going to fall in love, and he'd be the highest-rated rookie on the. This
4: is a TD and fantasy thing. We all are really high on Jamar Chase, and Jamie's projections have now bared out what the three of us have been saying throughout the process.
2: Going through the run here, so when we were talking back in like February, we were in March. We were talking, you know, I was thinking, okay, probably a top forty guy at the position. You know, then as we got a little bit deeper to the draft, I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe he can be a wide receiver three. I can kind of see him going into that space. And we, we started talking about him a lot. Jake had him as his number one in Dynasty uh, when we did those those ranking shows uh, before the draft. You know, and then he goes to the Bengals, and I'm like, all right, you know, maybe he's a top 30 guy now. Like, he went to the perfect landing spot. Now we actually know. Like, I, I feel comfortable taking him in the top 30. And then I come out and do the projections, and, and he lands at 21. <laughs> and I'm just like, Wow. Uh, because I, I'm normally and, and I think I am here and I explain why I'm pretty conservative with rookie estimates just because I think it's so easy to fall all over yourself on some of these guys. And I, I mean, and I broke down the numbers about just, you know, with him on our wide receiver show, I I can see him even bettering this spot. And, and look, I don't think it's unfair and unreasonable to expect anybody to come in and do what Justin Jefferson did last year. Like That was a historic rookie season. And by the way, I don't have Jamar Chase matching that historic rookie season. But coming in and, and being a wide receiver too right away, which is where I have him projected, is massive. And some of it's just going to be he's, the connection he has with the quarterback, the amount of volume that the Bengals are going to have in the passing game, which is huge. So I was a little surprised to kind of see how high I was on him because typically my rookie projections are low and I have to kind of slowly adjust them back up because they just, they just come in at numbers that just don't seem realistic. Um, And I guess, uh, so he was one on the tight end side. We talked about it a little bit as well. I just John Smith and Hunter Henry. I mean, those are two guys that have been flirting around tight end one territory and Hunter Henry is top, a top half of tight end one territory for a few years now, leave their respective teams Go to what I think is a terrible landing spot for fantasy purposes. And then they go together, just kind of makes them, to me, both of them, not super fantasy relevant for most, you know, 10 or 12 team leagues that are playing one tight end. Like, I just, you know, I look at the names and Hunter Henry is still being drafted as a tight end one uh, in ADP right now. And I just, I don't, I just can't put myself in that spot. I'm not going to have any shares of either one of those guys. I just, I don't trust what they're going to get. So for two guys that have been hanging around that, that, you know, at worst top 14 tight ends in like John Smith's case for the last couple of years, just kind of pushing all the way out of that territory. It was a little bit shocking, but I totally understand why.
4: Anything else? Anything outstanding? We're going to close. The book is going to close here on projections.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, You know, it's, I'm going to do some rechecks here. There are a few players on my list to kind of relook at. Whoa, Jamie, that's a next week's show concept. Don't. Okay. Okay. But, I the mean, I am going to actually tell them what I did then. Okay, I'm not going to, just, I, don't, I don't have okay. the answers now. I haven't done it yet. But, but i put it this way guys, I feel like I'm a little too low on that I want to really double check. How about that, Chris? That, that's what I'm going to say right now. Is that okay for you, Chris? This guy, that's so, fantastic. I'm, I'm still going to keep looking for this and I'm still seeking outside submissions on players to recheck. But there are just a few guys that I want to really look at a little bit more closely. I already mentioned Damian Harris. Uh, James Robinson is one I want to look at. I still feel like I'm probably too low on him, and I, I want to kind of do a little bit more and see if there's, you know, a little bit more meat on the bone there. Jailed uh, Everett as well. Uh, a few tight ends actually. Jailed Everett, Tyler Conklin, and Noah Gray are all three guys that I really want to take a little bit closer look at, uh, as well as Matthew Stafford. So those are some players. Going to be gonna... my one question. We yeah. didn't
3: talk about <laughs> quarterbacks, is Stafford so the-, the one guy that you like –
2: yeah, I feel like I'm too low. It.
3: As much as we all think they're wanna, they want to, they want to run the ball. If McVeigh falls in love with what he's seeing, I can see that being a little yeah. low. Yeah.
2: So I'm going to relook at those. Are those are six guys right now? I'll probably have a few more, and we'll talk about them late next week.
4: Uh, also, uh, we're doing a mock draft next week as well. That's the schedule Ooh. for next week's uh, shows. I believe it is a two round uh, yep. PPR redraft all format.
2: PPR. Yep. There you go. So, so just like what... just like what we're going to end up doing at some point. Uh, we'll we'll keep everybody posted on what we're doing for a TDN league, but uh, that just like we're going to do that. So twelve teams, full point PPR, two rounds. Spent a lot more time since the last time we did one of those, so I'm excited it, it to has. see kind of where everybody lands.
4: Yeah, and and there's there's no people we talk more fantasy with the three of us than we do any outside of it. So we're gonna know each other's tendencies. So it'll be fun to see uh, if we can annoy each other and take each other's uh, players. So that is what you can look forward to next week here on the show again, along with Jamie's player rechecks. As uh, he's gonna go through some of them over the weekend and into next week. Jamie, where can everybody follow you on social media?
2: Find me. Uh, follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter and at Jamie Eisner TDN on Instagram. Jake.
3: Jake B. Arians on Twitter and Arians NFL on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at True Radio, S-C-H-U Radio. Follow the show
4: on Twitter at TD and Fantasy. And again, over at thedraftnetwork.com is where you can find all of uh, all of these projections, these rankings, all of the fantasy content. Again, the draftnetwork.com underneath the fantasy tab. Everybody, have a great weekend. Fourth of July weekend coming up around the corner. Uh, we will talk to you all next week.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.